0: Hello and welcome to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. I am your host, Terence M. Stanton. This is episode 33, and we are recording on the evening of Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021, the Feast of All Souls. We should remember daily to pray for the relief of the Holy Souls in Purgatory, but especially today, All Souls Day. Let us begin by looking at our 54-day Rosary Novena. Today is the 27th day in petition. The Glorious Mysteries and the Recommended Novena Petition is as follows. The Consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary by the Pope and all the Catholic Bishops of the World in the manner requested by Our Lady of Fatima which will end these chastisements, prevent greater chastisements, and result in the conversion of Russia to the Catholic faith and a period of world peace. I unite this rosary with all the rosaries offered for the same intention. I'm going to share with you today an article from the Fatima Crusader, issue 96, from autumn of 2010, available for free at Fatima.org. This is an article by the late, great Father Nicholas Gruner, May He Rest in Peace. And the title of it is The Fatima Message and the Problem of False Obedience. And it kind of builds what we were talking about yesterday in terms of the third secret, and we know how that has been shrouded in mystery and a very controversial issue. So this is written by... The Good Father Gruner back in 2010, and I thought it would be fitting to share it with you at this time. He writes, I am very grateful for the opportunity to write about this subject. If only more Catholic publications were open to a search for the truth on what is, in the post-conciliar ambiance, a most politically incorrect subject, the message of Fatima and its relation to the current crisis in the Church and the world. Introduction The subjects of this piece are one, the evident suppression of a text of the Third Secret of Fatima that would explain and accompany the vision of the Bishop dressed in white, published under the auspices, strangely enough, of the Vatican Secretary of State on June 26, 2000. Two, the other subject is the obviously not done consecration of Russia, which Cardinal Bertone would forbid us from talking about. It is not my purpose here, however, to survey all of the evidence that led Antonio Sochi, the Catholic luminary in Italy, who was determined to disprove the existence of this text, to surrender, as he puts it, and to conclude, with those he once dismissed as Fatimists, that there is a part of the secret not revealed, and considered unspeakable, is certain. In my extended version of this article, I have appended a summary of the key facts that eliminate all reasonable doubt that, as Sochi writes, the explosive part of the Third Secret of Fatima exists yet is well hidden. Indeed, Sochi has helped make history by writing a book, The Fourth Secret of Fatima, on the subject that essentially accuses the Vatican Secretary of State of suppressing the very words of the Mother of God. Rather than reviewing the evidence, my focus here will be on a great obstacle to accomplishment of the imperatives of the Fatima message, False obedience. Permit me a brief sketch of the context in which this obstacle has arisen. The role of false obedience in the post conciliar crisis. Since Vatican II, there has been an unprecedented division of the Church into warring camps that hoist their respective flags behind impenetrable fortifications. The emergence of these camps is the direct result of the supposed new orientation of the Church since the Council, a mirage, of course but one that has provoked terrible damage in the Church. The very existence of a previously unheard-of distinction between Novus Ordo and traditionalist Catholics tells us that the reforms of Vatican II have caused a disastrous quasi-schism within the Church itself. Now, the traditionalists are simply the Catholics who did not change, whereas the leaders of the Novus Ordo constituency defend the novelties of the past 40 years as though they were defined dogmas of the faith, even though Pope Benedict has exposed the utter fraudulence of this posture by declaring that the ancient mass was never abrogated and that its use by every priest in the church was always permitted. The imposition of these novelties upon the church, and with it official opposition of the message of Fatima, has deepened, excuse me, has depended precisely on a false notion of obedience to ecclesiastical authority none other than the present pope himself exposed this false notion when he was still cardinal ratzinger and again he's referring to the the present pope was the present pope back in 2010 now the supreme pontiff emeritus the pope is not an absolute monarch whose will is law but is the guardian of the authentic tradition and thereby the premier guarantor of obedience that is why with respect to the liturgy He has the task of a gardener, not that of a technician who builds new machines and throws the old ones onto the junk pile. Here, Cardinal Ratzinger was commenting on what even the new Catechism declares that even the supreme authority in the Church may not change the liturgy arbitrarily, but only in the obedience of faith and with religious respect for the mystery of the liturgy. Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 1125, page 256. And what is true of the Pope? That his power and authority are limited by the obedience of faith, is all the more true of his subordinates. Yet in their ranks, the obedience of faith has widely been replaced in the post-conciliar epoch by obedience to their authority for its own sake. Positivism, "My will is law," and nominalism, "What I will is good because I will it," have invaded the ch- the church. Excuse me, cloaking their abuses in the virtue of obedience which seems to have become the only virtue insisted upon by ecclesiastical authority. It is no coincidence that this invasion of the church by positivism and nominalism coincides with the invasion of the church by worldly thinking, that Paul VI lamented, but too late, for the opening to the world had already begun to inflict its incalculable damage, and the smoke of Satan, he also belatedly lamented, had already entered the church through the fissures, he noticed, only after the smoke had entered. I'm going to pause here for a moment and mention this is the modernism that St. Pius X warned about. And those of you who fulfill your Sunday obligation by attending Society of St. Pius X masses, you do nothing wrong. The priests of the Society of St. Pius X are not in schism, and they are not heretics. I have never attended an an SSPX Mass, but I would have no problem doing so. There's so much controversy about the SSPX. Um, From what I've seen from them, and I've watched the Crisis in the Church series on YouTube from the Society of St. Pius X, their priests seem rock solid, faithful, I know there are scandals in every order. There are scandals throughout the church, and it's tragic, but the Society of St. Pius X, to me, seems like a very solid organization. Archbishop Lefebvre was absolutely heroic in combating modernism at Vatican II and thereafter. And what he warned about is coming true. Men in the church, bishops in the church, Are pursuing their own opinions. They're not pursuing the truth. This is very, very dangerous. And quite possibly, this is part of what Our Lady warned about in the third secret. We always have to follow the truth, we always have to pursue the truth. And the truth ultimately is Jesus Christ. We can't pursue our own opinions. We can't pursue our own feelings. We have to do what's right, avoid what's wrong, and pursue the truth at all costs. Father Gruner continues under the heading of true obedience, the obedience of faith. Of course, what is true of the liturgy is true of everything else in the church. There is an obedience of faith higher than obedience to men, higher even than obedience ought to obey God rather than men, Acts 5.29. Indeed, all authority is derived from divine authority, for if there were no God, there would be no ground on which any man could stand to assert authority over another, but only various social contracts resting on consent. All authority on earth, both temporal and spiritual, from the parent to the policeman to the politician, from the priest to the prelate to the pope, is ultimately derived from divine authority. All who exercise authority of whatsoever kind, even papal authority, must exercise that authority in conformity with the divine will. And all who obey authority of whatsoever kind must obey divine authority first. The failure to recognize and acknowledge the obedience which is absolutely due to God above all human authority is what is wrong with the modern notion of authority. It accounts for the moral political, and social chaos of our time. And that same chaos, as Paul VI lamented too late, has infected even the human element of the church, producing the paradoxical situation of demands to respect authority that contravenes the very basis of all true authority, the divine will for man. Now, since all authority comes from God, we obey men because, and only because, their authority ultimately is based upon God's authority, And this obedience, where it does not contravene God's law, is actually an act of justice, of giving to another, and ultimately to God what is due. But God does not give any man the authority to command, nor anyone the right to obey a command that contravenes the commands he has given us, including the Decalogue and the Law of the Gospel, which is the positive law of Christ the King. Moreover, all authority on earth is limited by God's decree, not even the Pope, has unlimited authority, and we know the limitation of the Pope's authority by revelation, scripture, tradition, and the teachings of the authentic magisterium, both ordinary and universal, as well as the extraordinary magisterium in its dogmatic definitions. Something that Cardinal Newman warned about, now Saint John Henry Cardinal Newman, in the wake of Vatican I and the definition of papal infallibility was people turning the Pope into more than who he is, into almost a, a demagogue. And we love the Pope, we respect him, we pray for him, but people have begun to think in certain Catholic circles that the Pope is impeccable, that he can't make mistakes, that he can't make errors. That's not true. We know he's infallible when he defines. Matters of faith and morals ex cathedra he defines faith and morals for the universal church, but every interview he grants every conversation he has does not bear the mark of infallibility. That was something that Cardinal Newman, although of course a very loyal son of the church, and he would agree with papal infallibility he his concern has Uh, been borne out through time, that people would come to regard the Pope as something more than what he is. And papalitry would take place, which is really what we have in the church, especially in the wake of the pontificate of John Paul II, the so-called rock star Pope. People have begun to think that everything the Pope says is the truth, and he cannot be questioned even in charity. We have the dubia you know, the, the four Dubia cardinals charitably asking questions of the Pope, asking for uh, further explanation of Catholic teaching. The Pope never responded to them. Pope Francis never responded to them, and two of those four cardinals have gone on to their eternal reward. So we have to be very careful. And Father Gruner is a very learned man and a very holy man is warning here in this article about true and false obedience. His next segment says the obedience of faith and the message of Fatima. Of course, as St. Augustine says, God is order, and therefore there is a hierarchy of authority, and the command of the higher authority, when he is within the ambit of his jurisdiction, supersedes the command of the lower authority. There is a hierarchy of angels, a hierarchy of being in nature, and a hierarchy of authority in the church. Our Lady's authority, after that of Her Divine Son, is the highest authority in the Church and the world. It must be noted that the Blessed Virgin Mary, as Queen of Heaven and Earth and Mother of all the living, has real, maternal, and royal authority over each one of us, every member of the human race, and particularly every Catholic, including each and every priest, bishop, and cardinal, and finally the Pope himself. On October 13, 1917... The Queen of Heaven and Earth commanded the Son, and even the Son obeyed her. So must all her children, no matter what their rank in the Church. The message of Fatima, with its prescriptions for the Church, is precisely an exercise of her authority over the entire Church, the Pope included. And it is impossible for the sinless and ever-virgin Mother of God, possessed of the beatific vision in a unique and unequaled way, to abuse or exceed her authority. Therefore, when she commands we must obey, even the Pope must obey her. Hence, obedience to the message of Fatima, which means obedience to the mother of God, is subsumed under the concept of the obedience of faith, binding even the Pope to act for the faith, for the salvation of souls above all else. Which brings me to the question of the third secret in particular and its relation to the problem of false obedience. And before we get to that, I just want to mention The Blessed Virgin Mary is the mother of God, and when she makes her request, we need to do it. She asks us to pray the rosary and all six of her apparitions at Fatima. We need to do it. She asks for the first five Saturdays devotion. We need to do it. She asks the Pope to consecrate Russia to her Immaculate Heart with all the bishops of the world. The Pope needs to do it. Let's pray for that day. She is the mediatrix of all graces. Everything that the Lord gives us flows through her. She says, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What a wonderful mother we have. The perfect mother. The most loving mother. Our Lady of Fatima. Father Gruner's next segment is the obedience of faith versus false obedience regarding the third secret. Now, we know with certainty that the missing text of the secret, the one that is, quote, well hidden in the Vatican, involves the famous words of Our Lady recorded in Sister Lucy's fourth memoir. Quote, in Portugal, the dogma of the faith will always be preserved, etc. And we know that an Austrian Jesuit, Father Joseph Schweigel, sent on a mission by Pius XII to interrogate Sister Lucia concerning the contents of the secret in 1952 revealed that the secret has two parts. One concerns the Pope. The other, logically, although I must say nothing, would have to be the continuation of the words. In Portugal, the dogma of the faith will always be preserved. Thus we know that the text comprising the missing second part of the third secret records precious words of the virgin for which Sister Lucia held the place with her, etc., but the Vatican Secretary of State, Cardinal Bertone, continues to maintain the fiction that the not-easy-to-decipher vision of the bishop dressed in white, which has received a welter of conflicting interpretations, is all there is to the third secret of Fatima. He steadfastly and most tellingly refused to inquire of Sister Lucia regarding the momentous etc., even though he had every opportunity to, opportunity to do so over the five years of controversy that raged from the time the vision was published in 2000 to widespread skepticism about the completeness of the Vatican's disclosure until Sister Lucia's death in 2005. Or perhaps he did not inquire and is in possession of information he has deemed expedient not to reveal. Now, however, the partisans of a false and blind obedience to authority Counsel us to forget the very words of the Mother of God, because a Vatican functionary has deemed them dispensable. One such spokesman, Antonio Borelli, of tradition, family, and property, who professes to be a champion of Our Lady of Fatima, declares that the words embraced by that telltale etc. will remain forever an inexplicable mystery, and that it is a great disappointment that it has not been possible to resolve the question of the etc., but we have to work with that concrete, unavoidable fact. And then Father Gruner writes, really? And why is that? According to Mr. Borelli, the answer is simply and only because a human authority will have it so. And a human authority, moreover, who has no authority in the matter, as the Vatican Secretariat of State is a creation of men, not God, and is in no way part of the divine constitution of the Church. Indeed, Pius XII dispensed with the office during his pontificate. It was when he was serving as Secretary of State under Pius XI, that the future Pius XII made the startling and prophetic statement. I am worried by the Blessed Virgin's messages to little Lucia of Fatima. The persistence of Mary about the dangers which menace the Church is a divine warning against the suicide of altering the faith in her liturgy, her theology, and her soul. I hear all around me innovators who wish to dismantle the sacred chapel, destroy the universal flame of the church, reject her ornaments, and make her feel remorse for her historical past. A day will come when the civilized world will deny its God, when the church will doubt as Peter doubted. She will be tempted to believe that man has become God. In our churches, Christians will search in vain for the red lamp, where God awaits them. Like Mary Magdalene, weeping before the empty tomb, they will ask, where have they taken him? it seems more probable excuse me it seems more than probable that the very catastrophe the future pious the foresaw is predicted in great detail by the words of the virgin of fatima to be found within that troublesome etc but the partisans of false obedience argue that we must put the matter out of our minds to suit the wishes of cardinal bertone and all those who have no authority to conceal any part of the message of fatima once again, this gets to the heart of the matter of wanting to know the truth. We need to be hungry for the truth. We can't just leave things as is. With the Blessed Virgin Mary's requests going unheeded. With the third secret not being revealed, as it was supposed to be back in 1960. With the proper consecration of Russia to her Immaculate Heart by the Pope and all the Catholic bishops of the world on the same day taking place, as she requested at TUI on June thirteenth, 1929. Remember, that's over 92 years ago. We've kept Our Lady of Fatima waiting far too long. I hope and pray Pope Francis would wake up tomorrow and hop on Twitter or email the other bishops or however they communicate with each other and say, let's get this Russia consecration done. Don't expect that to happen anytime soon, but nothing is impossible with the Lord. And we have to continue to pray that the consecration will happen. And we have our, our Lord's words to Sister Lucy. He told her that it would happen, but it would come late. Well, it's been over 92 years. So the hour is getting very late, and it's well past time for the consecration. We've kept Our Lady of Fatima waiting far too long. The next section says false obedience against the consecration of Russia. In like manner do they advocate blind and false obedience to human authority by commanding or appearing to command us to cease petitioning the Pope for the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart, which Our Lady of Fatima prescribed for peace in the world and the salvation of souls in our time. They do so simply because human authority has declared a substitution for what the Queen of Heaven requested. Instead of the consecration of Russia, we were given a consecration of the world and all peoples in 1984. The Pope, following his all-too-fallible human advisors, avoided any mention of Russia for fear of offending the Russian Orthodox in breach of ecumenical protocol, and so the Pope, whose very life had been saved by the Virgin, as he himself publicly attested at Fatima in 1982, consecrated the world and all peoples— precisely so that it would not appear that Russia in particular was being consecrated. He was induced to do so in order to avoid offending men while departing from the Virgin's request, later lamenting, as reported in La, La Osservatore Osservator Romano, that he had tried to do everything possible in the concrete circumstances. Based on a consecration of Russia that refused to mention Russia, human authority, not the Pope, but a Vatican functionary, then-Archbishop Bertone, declared in conjunction with publication of the vision in 2000 that all further discussion or request for the consecration of Russia is without basis. All further discussion or request, we are told by a man in the Vatican who has no real authority in the matter to refrain even from discussing what the Virgin Mother of God, speaking also as Mother of the Church, instructed the Church to do for salvation of souls and peace in the world. We must be quiet. Furthermore, by that official statement, we are de facto told to refrain from exercising our God-given right, defined by the Second Council of Lyon and the First Vatican Council, to seek a fully binding and authoritative ruling from the Pope on the matter. The message of Fatima can never be buried. In response to the justified murmuring of the faithful, who would not be quiet, on October 8, 2000, the Vatican bureaucracy offered another human substitute for what the Mother of God requested, a papal entrustment to Mary of practically everyone and everything on the face of the earth except Russia. This idea of an entrustment as opposed to the consecration Our Lady requested was an amendment of heaven's prescription to suit the objection of certain human authorities to a consecration of anything to the Immaculate Heart, which they consider theologically untenable. This disdain for the consecration of Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary reflects a disdain for the Fatima event in general by those who pursue the new orientation of the Church and a wish to be done with Fatima once and for all while of course giving the appearance of treating it seriously so as to appease the simple faithful, as they like to call them. Yet they cannot be done with Fatima, for the message of Fatima is from God. Pope after Pope has attested to the supernatural character of the apparitions and the Fatima message in particular. Even Pope Benedict, who as Cardinal Ratzinger lent his name to the Secretariat of State's campaign to persuade the faithful that the events predicted in the Third Secret belong to the past, has reversed himself and begun to speak of Fatima as a heavenly signpost pointing still to the future, a future in which triumph and tragedy are in the balance. The Bethlehem, in Bethlehem in 2009, Benedict referred to the triumph of the Immaculate Heart as an event that is yet to happen. Quote, you promised the three children of Fatima that in the end my Immaculate Heart will triumph. May it be so. May love triumph over hatred solidarity over division, and peace over every form of violence. May the love you bore your son teach us to love God with all our heart, strength, and soul. May the Almighty show us his mercy, strengthen us with his power, and fill us with every good thing. On May 13, 2010, at Fatima, the Pope prayed that the triumph of the Immaculate Heart of Mary be realized before 2017 A.D., Thus, Pope Benedict XVI himself rejects the absurd contention of human authority, such as Cardinal Bertone, that the 1984 ceremony was the consecration of Russia. Our Lady has requested that, and what we see in Russia today, a neo-Stalinist dictatorship and three abortions for every woman, and that what we see in the world today, moral, spiritual, social, political, and economic collapse, is not the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, that she promised upon Russia's consecration to her. That the message of Fatima is from God is the reason that, as one Catholic writer so aptly put it, Fatima keeps bobbing to the surface like a cork underwater. What certain men who exceed their authority keep trying to submerge, Fatima rises again and again, with the Pope himself frustrating their effort to keep it down. I would also add that Pope Francis consecrated his pontificate to Our Lady of Fatima. And I believe with all of my heart that Our Lady of Fatima is going to have the last word on Pope Francis. Never cease praying for Pope Francis. While he's still alive, while any of us are still alive, means that God still has a plan for our lives. So we must continue to love Pope Francis continue to respect him, and continue to pray for him, no matter what. And in the end, we know the Immaculate Heart will triumph. The next section of Father Gruner's article is called, No Man Can Silence God. I say to you that if these shall hold their peace, the stones will cry out. Luke 19, 40. Thus did our Lord reply to the Pharisees when they demanded that he silence his disciples, who were proclaiming, Blessed be the King who cometh in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees, who would soon orchestrate the execution of the very Anointed One, for whom they and the Jewish race had been waiting, first attempted an expedient compromise. Obey us, your religious superiors. Remain silent as we demand, and we will leave you alone. But silence was not possible for no man can silence God. Had every one of the disciples been intimidated into silence by that Pharisaical abuse of authority, the very rocks on the ground would have preached the gospel in their stead. And woe to them who had counseled silence in the name of obedience to human authority. Soon after this encounter with the Pharisees having reached Jerusalem, our Lord pronounced his terrifying judgment on those who would not hear the gospel. And when he drew near, seeing the city, he wept over it, saying, If thou also hadst known, and that in this thy day, the things that are to thy peace, but now they are hidden from thy eyes. For the day shall come upon thee, and thy enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and straighten thee on every side, and beat thee flat to the ground, and thy children who are in thee, and they shall not leave in thee a stone upon a stone, because thou hast not known the time of thy visitation. Fatima must not be silenced. And so it is with the message of Fatima, which contains things that are to thy peace, but now they are hidden from thy eyes, that is, from the eyes of the very people, who have a duty to heed them and make them known, just as the Pharisees, who demanded silence from the disciples, had a duty to heed and follow the Messiah. This is not, of course, to claim that the Fatima message is the gospel, but rather that the gospel itself obliges the church to heed it as an authentic prophecy. Do not extinguish the spirit. Do not despise prophecy. For as St. Thomas reminds us, God sends his prophets in every age, not indeed for the declaration of any new doctrine, but for the direction of human acts. The message of Fatima has been given to the church precisely for the direction of human acts in our time the consecration of Russia, the first Saturday devotions, including the communion of reparation, making sacrifices for sinners, and the fervent recitation of the rosary. And what greater prophetic credentials could there be than those of the very Mother of God and the miracle of the Son, the greatest public miracle since the resurrection, which she deigned to obtain in response to her mocking challengers so that all might see and believe. One must state in all candor that we are the victims of an abuse of authority by certain ecclesiastics who despise the Fatima prophecy, i.e. the whole Fatima message, even though the popes themselves have recognized it as binding upon the Church. Here is one papal explanation John Paul II gave in 1982, at the very site of the Fatima apparitions. The Pope himself proclaimed the very point I have made here, that the duty to obey Fatima proceeds from the gospel and sacred tradition, the twin sources of re- revelation. The appeal of the Lady of the Message of Fatima is so deeply rooted in the gospel and the whole of tradition that the Church feels that the message imposes a commitment on her. That was said by Pope John Paul II on May thirteenth, 1982, at Fatima. Antonio Sochi has said it very well in the very book in which he justly accuses errant human authority of hiding part of the third secret and impeding the consecration of Russia. Quote, The Fatima event has received on the part of the Church, which in general is always very cautious concerning supernatural phenomena, a recognition without equal in the history of Christianity. It is really impossible, after all of this, to continue to speak of a private revelation and of the relative importance of the message. And here I must note the remarkable fact that Pope Benedict, having received Sochi's book accusing human authority of this truly pharisaical abuse of power, has thanked him for, quote, the sentiments with which I have suggested it. Words which Sochi's, Sochi says are comforting before the insults and coarse accusations Bertoni has hurled at him. The duty to refuse false obedience respecting Fatima. What then must we do? We must do what the disciples did when confronted by a demand for false and immoral obedience. Respectfully, but firmly, refuse to obey. As St. Thomas teaches, we have the right and even the duty to disobey certain commands of the Church's rulers for the same reasons we are not bound to obey political rulers in all things. Firstly, charity, says St. Thomas, is a greater virtue than obedience. The greatest charity is the salvation of souls. Our Lady said, If what I say to you is done, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. July 13th, 1917. And, as the Church teaches and professes, The salvation of souls is her first law. Canon 1752. Hence the message of Fatima pertains to the first law of the Church. The law to which all other laws of the Church must be conformed. Secondly, It is a matter of common sense, and no one has more common sense than St. Thomas, that not even the rulers of the Church have any authority from God to exceed the scope of their authority, as the Secretary of State has done in the case of Fatima. Nor can any authority in the Church demand obedience to unjust commands, contrary to the common good of the Church or to the divine law itself, or to even a mere human good, where undue harm would result. For example, If even the Pope were to issue a command that all Catholics must sleep on the floor for the rest of their lives as a penance, one could refuse to obey such a command merely on account of its undue burden on the human good and necessity of sleep. Thirdly, as St. Thomas teaches, there are three kinds of obedience, obedience sufficient for salvation, perfect or superabundant obedience, and finally what he calls indiscreet obedience, which obeys even in matters unlawful. Indiscreet obedience is contrary to God's law, and therefore, we must never give it. Indiscreet disobedience is, quite simply, a sin. Even when speaking of professed religious, who have the highest duty of obedience in the Church, St. Thomas teaches that a religious is bound to obey his superior only in respect of those things that belong to his mode of religious life. That limited obedience suffices unto salvation. If a subject wishes to obey in other matters, he would be exhibiting a superabundance of the virtue of obedience. But such superabundant obedience must not be contrary to God or to the rule they profess, for obedience in these cases would be unlawful. I repeat, St. Thomas teaches that it would be unlawful for even a professed religious under the strictest vow of obedience to obey a command contrary to God or to the rule that he professes before God. To obey a command to be silent from those who despise the prophecy of the Mother of God at Fatima is to despise that prophecy oneself, contrary to the injunction of the gospel, and thus contrary to God. It is also contrary to the rule that all Catholics profess at baptism and confirmation, the rule of faith, which obliges one not to despise prophecy and to refuse to follow those who do despise prophecy, To follow the despisers of prophecy is, in fact, disobedience of the worst sort, the following of men rather than God, which will lead to our destruction no less surely than it did the destruction of Jerusalem. As Our Lady of Fatima herself warns, If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions of the Church. The good will be martyred, the Holy Father will have much to suffer, various nations will be annihilated. Do we believe this prophecy or not? If we believe it, as we must. Silence or inaction in the face of attempts to alter or bury it is not an option, much less a duty of obedience, but a sin of omission. Our duty, therefore, is not to obey those who would be done with Fatima, but on the contrary, unceasingly to pray, petition, and demand, with all due respect, that human will give way to that divine will, that the third secret of Fatima, a precious message, warning to the Church and the whole world, will be revealed in full, and that Russia be consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. The consequences we face. What are the consequences of churchmen continuing to ignore what Our Lady of Fatima has commanded? Quite simply, accountability to our Lord Himself, to the Blessed Virgin and to their fellow men for the resulting chastisement on account of disobedience. I've explored the full implications of this accountability elsewhere. But here we need only consider the example of the King of France. If the King of France had not been subject to obedience to the Sacred Heart of Jesus when he was given the order through St. Margaret Mary on June 17, 1689, to consecrate France to the Sacred Heart, then there would have been no justification for the chastisement of his successor successor, Louis the Sixteenth, on june seventeenth, seventeen eighty nine, one hundred years to the day later, when the Third Estate overthrew his authority and declared itself the National Assembly, thus commencing the French Revolution that led to Louis's execution in 1793. Similarly, if the Pope and Bishops were not strictly bound by obedience to the Blessed Virgin Mary and her requests given to them in the Fatima message, then the chastisement of the Pope and the Bishops as foretold in the vision of the bishop dressed in white, being executed by a band of soldiers outside a half-ruined city would not be justified on account of their failure to consecrate Russia or to reveal the third secret in its entirety. Yet it is precisely a lack of obedience by the king in the first case and by the pope and bishops in the second that calls down a divine chastisement upon their heads. As our Lord himself admonished Sister Lucia at Reigno, make it known to my ministers Given that they follow the example of the King of France in delaying the execution of my command, they will also follow him into misfortune. If the Pope wishes to follow fallible advisers instead of the Mother of God, then like the King of France, he will be required to pay the price. Similarly, if the bishops, by their indolence, rebellion, or false counsel, persist in impeding fulfillment of the imperatives for the church laid down at Fatima, they will find themselves on that hillside, outside the ruined city in the vision, alongside the bishop dressed in white, who is executed before they are executed. And may God have mercy on us all, for if we neglect to do the part allotted to each of us, according to a station in the church, then we will share in the punishment due for not recognizing our moment of grace and pardon and the moment of our visitation, see Luke 19.43, which is fast expiring like the gospel. Indeed, because of the gospel, the message of Fatima must be shouted from the rooftops. Not the stones in the ground, but Catholics all over the world must proclaim the message of Fatima until its divine imperatives have been heard and obeyed by the wayward leaders of a church they have led into an unprecedented crisis. Only then can the church and the world avoid the fate of which we have been well warned by the greatest of all the prophets after our Lord himself, his sinless mother, Mediatrix of all graces, including the grace of Fatima. What a powerful and wonderful article by the late Father Gruner. He spoke with the prophetic voice, didn't he? I wish I could read that letter to Pope Francis. I might have some influence on him. I wish someone close to him could tell him more about the Fatima message. I'm not sure if he fully understands it. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, but I wish more people close to him would tell him about Our Lady of Fatima and tell him about the consecration. Let us conclude by offering up a couple of prayers in honor of Our Lady of Fatima and also in honor of St. Joseph. In Omena Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Iesus. Sancta Maria Mater Dei, ora nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in mortis nostrae. Amen. The Prayer of St. Louis de Montfort. Hail Joseph the Just, Wisdom is with you. Blessed are you among all men, and blessed is Jesus, the Fruit of Mary, your Faithful Spouse. Holy Joseph, worthy foster father of Jesus Christ, pray for us sinners and obtain divine wisdom for us from God, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Virgo potens, ora pernobis, sancti Joseph terra daimonem, ora in nomine patris et fili et spiritus sancti. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to episode 33 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. I am your host, Terence M. Stanton, honored to be with you. Please follow us on Twitter. Our Lady of Fatima podcast is located at Fatima podcast. That's at Fatima podcast on Twitter. We would love to hear from you. Goodbye and God love you.